Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Amen. We want God to unite our hearts that every part of us would fear his name. Look what Philippians 2.12 says. We also read this last week. It says, work hard to show the what? Oh, come on, somebody. Salvation is not just something that we pray and receive and praise the Lord, I'm saved. No, no, no. It's not just a nice idea. No, salvation produces what? Results. Come on. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Come on, say the fear of the Lord. And last week we learned about the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of God, right? And we learned that it's not to be scared or afraid of God, but it is reverent respect, right? The fear of God is reverent respect. It is the fear of offending God. It is the fear of the consequences of disobeying God, right? The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. It's being scared of being without God, right? Are y'all okay? The fear of God is not being scared of God and running away from God. It's being afraid of being without him. The fear of the Lord is afraid of being far from God. The fear of the Lord doesn't push us away from God. The fear of God draws us unto God. And I guess sort of what really stuck with me last week was the fear of God is treating God like God, right? The fear of God is learning to treat God like God. Last Sunday, we looked at the topic of fearless, and we talked about how important it is that because it seems like so many people have lost the fear of God, including the people of God, it's so important to rediscover and recover the fear of God in the church first, right? And we learned that the fear of God makes the church strong, right? Stronger. It causes us to grow in strength. Now, that was powerful. That was life-changing for many people. But today we're going to look at what is it that the fear of the Lord actually produces? What does the fear of the Lord accomplish? What does the fear of the Lord do in my life? Today, the message is... The fear factor. (laughs) All right. I thought that that was an old show back that only when I was a lot younger, but I was informed this morning that that show is still up and running. And I was also informed that it's way worse than it used to be. (laughs) Those of you that have never seen the fear factor, you know, it's a TV show where I know this isn't every scenario, but what I remember the most is them putting a blindfold on somebody and then they're having like an aquarium with tarantulas or snakes or, and they have to blindfolded put their hand in there and touch it and you know and 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 the point of the show is what fear produces in people right the point is for you basically to laugh at somebody because they're scared to death right don't we act a certain way when we're afraid now going back to the fear of the lord we learned last week that that is not the kind of fear we're talking about it's not being afraid of like a monster or whatever and run away no 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 the fear of god makes me realize how much I desperately need him. And it makes me, it opens my eyes to see God as God and to treat him like God. 
And because I know who he is and my desperate need for him, the fear of God pushes me into him, pushes me close to him, right? And so what is it then if I am a person who is living in the fear of the Lord? What does it do? What is the fear factor? I'm going to talk to you about five things that the fear of God produces in the life of a person who possesses it, all right? Come on, turn to somebody and say, you got fear? Now come back next Sunday because we're going to talk about being delivered from the wrong kind of fear, all right? Come on, somebody. We've already talked a little bit about the bad fear, but next Sunday we're going to talk about how the fear of God sets us free from the wrong kind of fear, okay? The fear of the wrong things. But today I want to share with you what the fear of God produces if you have it in your life. Are you ready? Five things I'm going to give you. These are not all, this is not everything that the fear of God produces. That would take weeks. But these are five things that are so real to me and that I see so clear in Scripture and that I've seen in the lives of people who I know fear the Lord. Are you ready? Number one, the fear of God produces wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10 and 11 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the foundation of wisdom. Ready? Say beginning. Beginning. Foundation. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Wow. It says that the beginning of wisdom the beginning like you gotta start there right the beginning of wisdom or the foundation is what fear of the lord now what is wisdom what is wisdom a lot of people don't know what wisdom is a lot of people think that wisdom is just knowing a lot right and we refer to people who know a lot as wise right that really isn't wisdom now it's good to know a lot But wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's more than just knowing stuff. It's having the skills to do the stuff that you know. Wisdom is more than just knowing what. It's knowing how. Are y'all with me? It's applied knowledge. It's taking what you know and being able to live it out, to walk it out, right? It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing how to walk with God. It's not just knowing principles from the word of God. It's knowing how to live out those principles in my day-to-day life. That's wisdom, right? There was this king back in the day who, in fact, wrote the, uh, most of the Proverbs, right? And God was very pleased with him. In fact, he was super pleased with him because when he was given the choice to ask for anything, what did he ask for? Wisdom. Do you know what the word wisdom is when he asked for it in the dream? We're talking about King Solomon, right? Known up until that point as the wisest person who had ever lived, right? Okay, and if you read about King Solomon, he knew a bunch of stuff. He had knowledge. Okay, he knew He was kind of like one of those people that we would call a genius, right? He just knew everything. But when he asked the Lord, when the Lord said, what would you like? He asked for this specific thing. We call it wisdom. Say wisdom. Wisdom. What What was the actual word Solomon used? He said, Lord, give me a listening ear. Our translation, wisdom. 
Old Testament language, give me a listening ear, an ear that hears, right? Oh, does that sound like anything familiar? He who has ears to hear, right? Not just ears that can hear noise, but ears to hear. When Jesus said it, he meant his language was if you are listening to obey, right? If you are listening to apply, if you're listening, not just to hear what I'm saying, but if you are listening with the intention of obedience, okay? Come on, somebody say, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Wisdom is more than just God, I want to know about you. Wisdom is I want to practice everything I know about you. Wisdom isn't just, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Wisdom is I want to hear your voice and do what your voice says. Wisdom isn't just I want to have um, understanding and revelation from the Bible. Wisdom is I want to have revelation from the Bible and I want to have the skills to live out that revelation in my day-to-day life. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is more than just the what. It's the how, right? And so many people want to be wise. (laughs) Oh, man. Have you heard that? I just, I just need wisdom. I'm going through something and I just need wisdom. When I'm, how many times have I said that? Have you said that? I've said that. I said that this week. Hello? But just wanting to have wisdom to get through a circumstance is not wisdom. Wisdom, you've either got it or you don't. And if you've got it, you're either growing in it or you're not. Uh oh. Wisdom is not some momentary, let me know, so let me see what I can do to get through this. Now, do sometimes, uh, are we sometimes in a situation where we need wisdom to get through it? Uh, hello, yes, all the time. But wisdom is more than just that momentary, get me through something knowledge. In fact, if you look really close, wisdom is described as a person. Somebody tell me who he is. Come on. Jesus is the word of God. Wisdom is built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. Now, let me go back. A lot of people want to be wise, but they haven't even started with wisdom. They haven't even started yet. How is that? Because if you don't first start, where are you going? Are y'all with? A lot of people want what's out there, but they haven't even started yet. A lot of people want to build the house, but they've never laid the foundation. A lot of people are seeking wisdom, but reject the very first thing that gives us wisdom. If you haven't started, you haven't started. Because the Bible says that the start, the beginning, is the fear of the Lord. If I have not the fear of the Lord, I have not wisdom. And I can't have it. Are y'all okay? If I'm lacking the proper foundation, I am building a faulty, unsafe structure 
if I'm trying to build wisdom without the foundation of the fear of the Lord, it's all going to come crumbling down. No matter how full of it I get, no matter how much knowledge I possess, if the foundation isn't the fear of God, all of that one day will crash into the ocean and be gone. This is why Jesus alluded to obeying the gospel like building our life on the rock and not on the sand, right? Wisdom. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't the fullness of wisdom. It's just the beginning. <laughs> because don't think of it with, from the other pers- kind of extreme perspective of I've got the fear of the Lord, I've got everything. No, no, no. You need to learn some wisdom. Come on. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning. There's so much to build on top of the fear of the Lord. But again, I know I seem to be repeating myself, but this is so important. So many of us are building stuff on top of who knows what. And then things start to crumble and we wonder what's going on. Because Jesus was so clear, the wind and the waves and the storms, they shall come. It's not a maybe, it's not that might come. Everybody in life is going to go through something that's going to come against you and it's going to test what you know. And if what I know isn't built on the fear of God, that solid rock foundation of obedience to his word, everything I know will be shaken and blown away. But you know what the storms of life do to somebody who's wise, somebody who's built their life on the rock, somebody who possesses wisdom because they possess the fear of the Lord? What do the storms and the tests do? They verify that wisdom, therefore making it stronger and more solid. The fear of the Lord isn't the fullness of wisdom, it's just the beginning. Wisdom is built on top of the foundation of the fear of God. There's so much to build, but you got to begin right. you got to start right. And I say it one more time. If you weren't building your life on the foundation of the fear of the Lord... You haven't even started with wisdom yet. Get started. Amen? What else does uh, the fear of the Lord produce? Number two, strength. And I've kind of did these first three in order because I feel like from what I've observed, one leads to another and to another. And and, And from what I've seen, wisdom leads to strength. Okay? Wisdom leads to strength. Acts 9.31, we read it last. We're going to read it again. It says the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became what? Stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Weak people are easily influenced. But strong people are the influence. Okay, don't even think about the church right now. Just think about the world. Weak people are people that are easily influenced strong people are the ones making the influence right see the believers in the book of acts that we read about here they weren't strong because they didn't have temptations or trouble 
by God, read it. Read the, the chapters before it, Acts chapter 9. They had just gone through a very difficult time of testing. They had been persecuted and scattered throughout the region. Some of their leaders, one of their main leaders, Stephen, somebody who was greatly looked up to, he had been martyred. They weren't strong because they didn't have anything to deal with. Because isn't that the way we look at people sometimes? We think, wow, that's a strong person. They're strong because they ain't ever had to deal with nothing. They've never gone through anything hard. No wonder they're strong. It's easy to be strong when you've never faced any sort of adversity. But in fact, that's not what makes you strong. It simply shows your strength. Can you be strong when you're not going through something hard? Absolutely. But when are we going to really know that you're strong? When you do go through something hard. I know people that think they're strong Christians, but they have yet to face that thing they're going to face that's going to let us know if they're strong or not. We're strong until the enemy throws the most difficult temptation at us. The thing that most entices us. We're strong until what we say we believe and we pray for just seems to not be happening right now. And we have to stand firm on the word of God like we were doing this morning in praise, right? The fear of the Lord causes us to be strong. See, these believers, these first disciples weren't strong because they didn't have any obstacles to overcome. They had more than enough. They were strong because they were totally devoted to building their lives on obedience to God's word. How do I know that? Go back and read Acts chapter 2. That's what the church was like. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Read the the following chapters after Acts chapter 1 and 2. They were totally devoted to obedience to God's word. Come on, they were wise folks. And wisdom made them strong. Wisdom made them strong. Their foundation was sturdy and strong. Therefore, they were able to stand and live strong lives. It all goes back to the foundation. Now, wisdom and strength, I have noticed, lead to number three. And that's boldness. Boldness. The fear of God produces boldness. It does. Again, when the church lacks the the fear of God, we're weak. And this is one of the reasons, like, why the the church in this generation, and again, and and like I said last Sunday, I'm a pastor. I love the church. Anything I say about the church that seems like a a reprimand is not, it's not to point my finger and judge. It's like, I'm a part of this. We got to get things going right again, you know? Like, I, I, I hurt when I see the church so weak and wimpy. So afraid to stand up for the truth. And then extremely weak because some loud mouth stand up for the truth in the way they're not supposed to stand up. And when you look under the covers, oh, they're not living that truth. And then our testimony is greater, even greater weakened. But fear of God, a person who lives in the fear of God is a bold person. Proverbs 14, 26 says it like this. And this is, um, 
in this verse, I'm, this is actually the Passion Translation. It says, confidence and strength flood the hearts of the lovers of God who live in fear or awe of him. What floods our hearts? Confidence and strength, right? And their devotion provides their children with a place of shelter and security. We got some parent, we got we got some new parents in the house this morning. We got some almost parents in the next couple of weeks and months coming. You want your children to grow up in a place of shelter and security? Fear the Lord. Be a bold person who says, I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the system says. I don't care about going with the flow. I'm going to stand up for the truth and I'm going to be bold about it. And that's going to provide a place of shelter and safety for my children. Be bold. Come on, tell your neighbor, be bold. Man, let's go to another proverb, 28, 1 and 2. It says, guilty criminals experience paranoia even though no one threatens them. You ever seen that? They, somebody know they done something wrong, and you no, doesn't anybody really know what they did, but they know they did it, and they're like, you know, looking, waiting for somebody to find out what they did. It's paranoia, right? But the innocent lovers of God, because of righteousness, will have the boldness of a ferocious lion. A rebellious nation is thrown into chaos, but leaders anointed with wisdom will restore law and order. Why boldness? Why does the fear of God produce boldness? It's very simple. When I fear God, I don't fear anybody else. If I truly fear God, I'm not going to fear what he will say, what she will think, how they will react. I will be obsessed with what he thinks about me. That's the fear of God. And that's the boldness that I'm talking about. The fear of God displaces the fear of man. What does the Bible say about the fear of man? What does it say it is? Oh, come on, Bible readers. What does the Bible say the fear of man is? It is a, it's a snare. It's a trap, right? If I live my life always concerned about what others think of me, I am going to be trapped by that. And never be the man God created me to be. But the fear of God causes me to be obsessed with what he thinks to the point that what you think, pardon me, but that what you think is way down on the list. Now, careful. I'm not giving you an excuse to live like one of those rude people that don't care what anybody thinks about them. The Bible has stuff to say about that too. There's a whole couple of chapters in Romans that talks about living our lives in a way that will bless other people and and living our lives in a way that, that, that people will think good of us, but because of righteousness and holiness, not because we're pleasing them. So what I'm not saying is, I fear God, so who cares what you think? No. What I am saying is I fear God, so I am more concerned with what he thinks than what you think. And if it comes between what he thinks and what you think, I default to him. Come on, somebody. But how often are we like, well, God thinks this, but this person that I, you know, I love thinks that. Or if God thinks this, and and I know that if I do this or say this or live this way, it'll please him, but it might not please them. Guess what? 
It's not that I don't care about that person. I just care more about what God thinks. You see, that's why Jesus said, if you don't love me more than mother, father, right? You're not worthy of me. He wasn't saying don't love your father and your mother and your children. That's not what he was saying. Please. The rest of the Bible teaches that, right? What he was saying is, if you live to please other people more than to please me, you're not worthy of being mine. That's the fear of God. And that's boldness, y'all. See, why boldness? When I'm, this is going to help somebody. When I'm obsessed with what God thinks of me, there ain't no room to worry about what people think of me. It just doesn't fit, right? I would hate to be approved by everyone and then stand before God and him go, who are you? I don't know you. I'll open the altar right now. Can we just... (laughs) Somebody needs to dive up here. Jesus. That's the fear of God. And Jesus, you know... Jesus didn't play. He was the most, he was the kindest, humblest, gentlest. He is love. Come on. But he didn't play with the truth. I think we read it last Sunday. I'm going to read it again. Luke 12, 4 and 5. Dear friends, this is Jesus. This is dear old sweet Jesus talking, just, you know, giving one of his little sweet sermons and trying to make everybody feel good. Don't, be afraid. don't y'all be afraid of those who want to kill. Okay. Dear friends, I don't know how he said it, but I'm pretty sure it was an intense moment. Don't be afraid. Why was he saying this? Because these were people who were afraid of people. Why would he say it? He was confronting something. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do anything more with you after that. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. I don't believe in hell. Then you don't believe in Jesus. Or his father. Yeah, he's the one to fear. (laughs) Why was Jesus so bold? I'll tell you why Jesus was so bold. I mean, did he ever shrink back from anybody or anything? No. He confronted the most intimidating people in his culture, the Pharisees. He confronted them. He let them have it. And he didn't think twice about it. In fact, he looked for opportunities to get on their nerves. (laughs) He was bold. He was going to stand for the truth, no matter what anybody thought. Why was he so bold? Because he knew that. (laughs) He knew who his father was. And he knew people's limited power. He knew they were going to kill his body. But he knew his father was going to raise him from the dead. That's why he was so bold. He knew people and their limited authority and he knew his father's supreme and absolute authority so he lived his every breathing moment to please the father and not people wow. 
This is what made, I really believe this is what, this revelation is what made the first Christians so bold. Because some of them knew they were going to get martyred. They were going to get killed. They were going to die for their faith. Some of them knew they were going to be scattered and persecuted. And they knew it. In fact, Jesus told them, you're going to be. So it was kind of like an expectation, right? <laughs> Why were they still so bold anyway? They feared God. They knew what Jesus knew. They knew the right one to fear. Number four, the fourth thing that the fear of God produces is deliverance. Now, this is a tricky one, but Acts 5, let's read. There was a certain man named Ananias who, uh, with his wife, Sapphira, had sold some property, and he brought part, everybody say part, of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. We call that a lie. Okay. Just in case you were wondering. Saying something that's not true is called a lie. <laughs> All right. And Christians aren't supposed to do that. Okay. With his wife's consent, uh-oh, lying partners. He kept the rest. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away, right? How could you do a thing like this? You were lying to us, but you were lying to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Acts, New Testament, New Covenant, grace, love, dear old sweet Jesus. Ananias fell to the floor and died. Bro brother Ananias fell to the floor and died. Shall I open the altar once more? Everyone who heard about it was terrified. <laughs> then some young men got up, wrapped them in a sheet, and took them out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, and knowing what had happened, not knowing what had happened, she didn't hear. Peter asked, I've always wondered, why, why did you ask her? Why didn't you warn her? But anyway, he asked, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes. She replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and I know what's about to happen to you, lady. And they're going to carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. Talk about being slain in the spirit. <laughs> I don't want to be that slain in the spirit. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then what happened? Great fear. Everybody say fear. fear. 
gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Sometimes when God shows up because there's no fear of the Lord, it increases the fear of the Lord. God forbid, Lord, have mercy on us from having to go through something like that. I would rather pursue the fear of God, right, than to have to be an example like that. Why are you preaching this in church? This doesn't sound like something that would happen in the dispensation of grace. Grace had been dispensed. The cross, the resurrection, and the ascension had already happened. Jesus was seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all of us. And this happened. Don't tell me the fear of God is not for today. Ananias and Sapphira did not fear God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Judgment came. And then the fear of God fell on the city. Now, if you continue reading forward, it's amazing what happens. It says that not only the fear of God came on on the church and the city, right after that, many miracles were performed. And it says great crowds of people were brought to faith in Jesus. Wow. Why? Because it was pretty evident that God had shown up. When the fear of God is present, it draws people into his kingdom, right? Now, deliverance. We're talking about deliverance. And again, I'm just going to give you this really quick. Why why deliverance? Ananias and Sapphira did not have to go through this, and neither do you. Because the fear of God delivers us from God's righteous judgment. And when I say deliver, a lot of times we look at deliverance like being taken out of something, right? That is deliverance. But Jesus also prayed, also taught his disciples to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. And what he was saying was, keep us away from it. One, one, one part of deliverance is to be rescued out of something. Another type of deliverance is to be kept from ever getting into something. Hananias and Sapphira did not have to fall under God's judgment for their hypocrisy. If they had feared God, they would have been delivered from that judgment before it ever happened. You do not have to, I do not have to go through the consequences of sin. I can be kept from it. Now listen, if you're in sin, is deliverance, he will come and get you out of it. Absolutely. But if you're walking and living a life of the fear of God, he'll deliver you from it before you ever get to it. See, because they could have been delivered if they had the fear of God from God's righteous judgment. But another thing that the fear of God delivers us from is from our own foolishness. Deliverance from our own foolishness. This thing that they did was just flat out foolish. They were not treating God like God. They thought they could tell a fib to God. They had no idea who they were dealing with. But then very quickly they did. (laughs) See, if I live a life fearing God, 
looking at God as who he is, almighty, holy God, whose eyes are forever on me, whose ears forever hear me, whose mind discerns what's in my mind before I even think it. And if I live my life with that consciousness, seeking to please him, guess what? That will keep me away from doing foolish things like this. Deliverance from foolishness. And finally, covering. Number five, we've had wisdom, strength, boldness, deliverance, and covering. Acts 19, verse 11. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. (laughs) Not just normal miracles. Actually, miracles aren't normal. But I guess some miracles in that day were just like, oh, he healed a blind person. No, unusual, like what in the world kind of miracles, right? Crazy miracles. It says when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. And just some historical, cultural context here. There were groups of what they called exorcists, right? Jesus even talked about them. He said, your own exorcists, right? That would go around and they would use incantations and they would, you know, say magic words or certain phrases or whatever to try to get people free from evil spirits. It was actually kind of a subtle form of witchcraft, like demons controlling demons. And Okay, so a group of Jews, they were traveling from town to town and they were doing this and they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus. And I don't know how they said it, but whom Paul preaches to (laughs) seven sons of Sceva, the leading priest were doing this. But one time (laughs) when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus. And I know Paul. But who are you? (laughs) Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. And the story of what happened spread quickly throughout all all through Ephesus and the Jews, uh, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city in the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored and many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Careful. The sons of Sceva were not disciples. (laughs) They didn't have number one. They didn't have the wisdom that comes from the fear of God. They weren't people who were truly followers of Jesus. They just used Jesus' name like a good luck charm. And they were exposed to the devil. They were just wide open. All right, y'all, okay? I promise this is the last one. The lack of the fear of God exposes us to darkness. The lack of the fear of God exposes us to the enemy. Paul was covered. That's why the demons could do nothing to him. Paul was covered. 
the sons of Sceva were not covered. And in fact, they ended up very uncovered. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to, to end here, but this is real important. The sons of Sceva used Jesus' name as a magic word, but they didn't treat God as God. They traded the name of God as just some sort of perk, something that could, they could get something out of, right? Question, is Jesus just your lucky charm or is he your Lord? Is Jesus just your lucky charm or is he your Lord? Bear with me. We're going to close. I'm going to ask everybody right now, let's just focus and not be distracted by anything right now. I'm, I'm getting ready to bring this to a close, and we're going to pray, okay? Do you know Jesus, and are you known by him, or are you just attempting to enjoy the benefits of his name? They didn't know Jesus, and they weren't known by him. They were just trying to use his name for their own personal benefit. Jesus' perks without a meaningful relationship with Jesus leads to disaster. And here's one for those of you that are serving the Lord. Are you okay? Ministry without intimacy exposes us to the devil. That's what these guys were trying to do. They were trying to do the ministry. But they didn't have an intimate connection with Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They weren't building their lives on the fear of God, right? And so they were just wide open, exposed to the devil. Ministry without intimacy exposes us to the devil. And let me just open my heart and tell you I have seen this happen. I've seen it. I've seen people get so pumped up and fired up about serving the Lord. But then... They go, and they're just doing, 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 doing stuff in the name of the Lord and doing stuff for the ministry. And let me tell you, serve the Lord. Serve him with all your might. Give it all you got. But don't let serving the Lord take the place of your relationship with the Lord. Because if you do, you will be exposed to the devil. That's why Jesus said an evil spirit goes out, and then it goes out in the wilderness, and then it comes back. And it finds the house all swept and clean, but there ain't nothing in there, so they just go back in. The way that we're not exposed to the devil and all that he wants to do, because, hello, we have an enemy. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you, and he wants to destroy you. Newsflash. This is not just like... Yay, Christianity, Woohoo! you know, get to go through life and then I get to go to heaven. No, you're going to be resisted. You're going to be attacked. The enemy's going to try to stop you. He's going to try to destroy you. You must be covered. And the only way to be covered is to be in intimate relationship with him, is to know him and be known by him. Then when the enemy comes, we can say like Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, the prince of this world, he's coming, but he has nothing in me. Right? He has nothing in me. Jesus was covered. Jesus didn't owe him anything.
good. Last phrase there in your bulletin. The fear of the Lord leads to the increase of his glory. Because God shows up where he's feared. God shows up where he's feared, where he's honored, where, he, where God is treated as God and honored as God. He shows up. We just read it right there. The fear of God descended on the city, and then all these things happened, and people were brought to Jesus. His glory was there. And that's what happens in a person's life, and it's what happens in a church, and it's what happens in a city when God is feared. He shows up. And I believe that one of the reasons God shows up in our church is because there's a good group of folks that truly fear the Lord, that aren't playing religious games. And I believe, I truly believe this, all right? Are you ready? That as more and more of us grow in our fear of the Lord, His glory is just going to grow more and more and more. And we're going to see more and more people come to Jesus. And we're going to see more and more miracles happen in our midst. Because we're going to honor God in this place is God. Amen. Stand to your feet.